Hello, and welcome to Talking Home Renovations with the House Maven. That's me. I am your host, Catherine McPhail. I am an architect working in Eastern Massachusetts, primarily on additions and renovations to existing homes. And I am making this podcast for people who are in the midst of planning a home renovation or thinking of doing one soon and just want to learn about all the different elements that go into a house renovation. We're going to start with kind of higher overview issues, such as how to start, how to find a house that you would like to renovate, uh, whether or not you need an architect, if you need a contractor. As we get into the series, uh, we will be having particular episodes on materials such as, let's say, roofing or smart homes, recycling during demolition, and a whole host of other things. So you'll have to stay tuned for that. Today, it is our first episode, and we are talking to Walter Russell of Home Sweet Home Builders of Woburn, Massachusetts. And he's going to talk about um, what to do when you've decided you're going to do this renovation, where to actually start, how to set your budget, uh, how to assemble your team, and that sort of thing. So I'd like to welcome Walter Russell, who's a co-owner of Home Sweet Home Builders, which is a full-service construction company focusing on residential remodeling in Woburn, Massachusetts. Hi, good afternoon. So um, this is the first episode of my podcast, and I'm pretty excited to start it all off here today with you. And um, to me, it seems like the logical place to start would be the beginning of a project. So let's pretend I'm a homeowner who has decided to go ahead and start my home renovation. And I want to do, I know I want a master suite and I want a new kitchen and I have $200,000. And I think that's a lot of money to spend, which it is a lot of money to spend. So what do I do? What do I do? Do I have enough money to do what I want? How do I find that out? So let's back it up. I mean, the the first two things that you should know are you should know what you want and you should know what you can afford. Um, So you've answered those two questions in, you know, in your, in your ask right there where, you know, you want a two-story addition, a kitchen below a master. Um, So that gives us some idea of what the cost drivers are. We have a kitchen, we have a new master bathroom. uh, We have potentially a foundation, a full basement. um, And then, you let us know right off the bat. I've I've got two hundred grand. I'm willing to spend. You know, is this reasonable? Um, so, what we do is, and I say we, that means uh, myself, a contractor, and an architect or designer will take the information you give us and see if that aligns into something that's possible. Um, and typically, without those two first parts of in, the information we can't really make a decision on whether or not your job's possible because we need to know what you can afford and what you want. Right. So, but how do I know if 200,000 is enough or who so, do I, who do I ask about that? So that's a great question. So since you've now figured out how much you can afford, you figured out what you actually want. Now it's time that you have to do some work. And this is the part that a lot of homeowners um, struggle with because they don't know where either where to turn or what work to do. It's not that they're not willing to put the work in. Right. Uh, it's just they don't know which direction to go in. So a lot of times you'll get asked, oh, do I call an architect? Do I call a builder? Uh, do I get plans drawn? Do I not? Uh, yeah. And these are all questions that need answers, but they're tough to wrangle in. So the best way that that I can describe for somebody new to the process to go through would be call either an architect or a contractor. But mm-hmm. if, you're, if you get connected with a, with a good architect or a good contractor, 
at some point, they're going to loop one of the other in, and that's going to paint the overall picture of whether or not your project is both uh, feasible in a design fashion and then also a cost perspective. Because um, the reality is without both, you won't get an accurate representation of the project on the scope or the cost. Right. Now, as an, as an architect, now I'm back to being an architect again. Okay, I would, welcome I back. Would, Oh, thank you. How I would be. <laughs> well, it's not a big jump from being a homeowner to an architect since I am both. Um, I do wish I had $200,000 to spend on my current renovation, though, to be honest. But I mean, my, my reaction to a homeowner saying they had 200000 is that that's not probably going to be enough. That's just my gut reaction to that. So, correct. Yeah. So, my, my gut answer to that question is no. Um, and there, there are significant cost drivers there, like, the kitchen and the master suite and the footprint. You know, how do we tie the new house into the existing? What are the exterior finishes? What's the window schedule like? Right. Um, so these are all things that would certainly bring that budget over 200000 And that's when a homeowner can take that information and either pump the brakes or figure out phasing, scope, uh, financing changes that might affect which way this project goes. Some of my clients come to me and they ask me, they'll say, I want the master suite over the kitchen. And then they add the laundry going upstairs and they add a finished bathroom and they, I mean, a finished basement. And then they add all this stuff to it just to see, well, this is my full wish list. I'd like to see how much that would cost. And then we'll cut stuff out of the scope. But in my experience, it's hard to cut things out of the scope after you've already kind of made them real by putting them on paper. Right. It is certainly, once you see it, in a plan set. And then these days, you know, you're getting three-dimensional renderings, you're placing yourself in the space, you're imagining yourself living in it. Uh, it's difficult to cut back once you see that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for anybody. But budget, like you know, budget drives everything. So at some point, it either needs to be cut back or financed differently. So that master plan is going to be important for just realizing what your maximum scope potential is. What, as an architect, what do you think I should tell people who want to price out? They don't know how much everything they want is going to cost. If they don't, if they actually have a $200,000 limit, what do you suggest that I do for them? Right. No, that's great. Cause at that point you've met with the architect, you maybe get some ideas of what is possible in your space. So, you know, as an architect, you know, you can elaborate on this much more than I can, but you go into a space and you look at the potential of it. You, you can actually, as an expert, know what might be possible and what might not be possible as far as tying old into right. new. Uh, and when I go into a space, I'm thinking budget. Is this within this range? Is this within this range? And without that first bit of knowledge, which was knowing what you can afford, you know, we can't really have a conversation about where this falls. Um, so it is important that before they invest, you know, five, 10, 15, $20,000 in the process of building a plan set that they understand where this might take them. Oh, you know, I wanted to elaborate on that point too, because I started with the architect and that's where the space really gets envisioned. So you get some ideas of what can be done. And then, you know, when I come in and I look at the budgets, that collaboration is what makes the most ideal scenario for a pre-construction information, um, you know, pre-construction information set that gives you the ability to make decisions, not only for what you want the space for, but 
how it might affect your investment. So would, would that mean that a client would have me come in and we'd work up a scope of work and then talk to you about preliminary budgeting? Absolutely. At so at, at that point, you know, if, if the customer is comfortable with investing some money into the project before they actually know what the overall outcome will be, um, that's a great client because you know that that person is engaged and they're willing to do the work. Um, and that's when an architect can go in, envision the space with the homeowner, present some ideas, some light scope, like you said, and that really gives us an idea of the base to bring to the homeowner for budgeting. You know, if we don't have an idea of the scope, we have to make it up. And sometimes what we do doesn't align with what the customer has in mind. So um, even just basic plan set, floor plans, and a light scope, it gives us a lot more information to work from from the beginning. It's helpful to me when people tell me what their actual budget is. And sometimes I feel like they don't want to admit that they have more money or 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 say that they might be able to get more money. So it's it's hard to know how much they actually want to spend on the renovation. And sometimes I get the sense that people might tell me they have $200,000 to spend when they really think it's going to be more than that, but I don't want to tell them that it's going to be more because then they'll just spend all my money without trying not to. Right. Does that make sense? No, I, I, and I understand that as, you know, as we go in and we ask questions that are tough for people to understand our motives for it's um, it can be somewhat challenging to get that information from clients. Um, but the reason why we ask about budgets is just so that we can understand how to reasonably present a project that fits in your price point. Right. Um, and also whether the project qualifies for something that fits our company. Um, so a lot of my initial questions when I meet a homeowner are about how prepared they are, how far along in the thought process are they in this, in this uh, addition or renovation. Um, do they have plans? So if people don't have a plan set, my direction changes to more, are you ready for this? What do you think about these budgets based on a project of similar size? Is that something that you're even willing to explore? Um, and then if, if a customer has a, a plan set that's preliminary, I know that they've put the work in and I can say to them, you know, I, I know you have an idea of the cost of this and you don't have the exact idea, but I'm going to give you a range and, you know, let me know if we're in your ballpark. So you have two different levels of you know readiness. One's one's in the early stages of forming what they want to do, and the other has gone through that process with somebody like yourself. Do you have a way to help people set up realistic expectations for their budgets? Now, this is also saying that we're in the greater Boston area, which is maybe more expensive than other areas of the country, in case people are listening elsewhere. But just relative cost might be helpful. Um, so, I mean, if you're talking, um, you know, like a master bathroom renovation and you're not moving any fixtures, you know, these things in this area can range from forty to $80,000. That's just redoing a master bath that Correct. already exists. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. What about a, a new master bath if you're so building new, new space? So that adds about another $10,000 to the project uh, to bring the, you know, whether it be the electrical and the, and the plumbing to the space that's not currently there. So you'd say around 50 to 90,000, depending on the design. Hmm. Okay. What, what about, let's say I like a 14 by 20 one story addition with the kitchen in it. 
So if that has a basement underneath it, which a lot of, a lot of projects in our area do and our basements go down, you know, eight or nine feet, um, our foundations or our footings have to go down at least four feet with a big, uh, mushroom bottom on it called a Bigfoot um, that creates a four by four hole to be dug anyway. So the excavation uh, is, is a lot, whether we're doing a basement or we're just doing pier footings. But in any case, um, you know, that type of addition, a 14 by 20, one story with a kitchen, uh, that can run you in the high hundreds, low $200,000 range, depending on, you know, your finishes and, um, you know, your siding and windows and, and things that uh, will depend on what's existing in your space and what you're trying to match. Mm, okay. And that's just for one story. Correct. So I assume adding a whole nother story with a master bath, I would about add, add about a hundred thousand or so. Absolutely. So, you know, adding a second floor isn't as, as costly as the first floor, you're not doing a foundation. You've already got a lot of your utilities in place. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that addition of a master, there you have, you know, a lot of tile work and uh, finish work that's going to bump the price up. Right. What about when people decide to move the laundry upstairs? I mean, just as a rule of, of thumb, we used to have certain, we used to back, oh, I'm going to say 20 years ago, we used to say it was like $1,500 a fixture for plumbing. And I think that's outdated at this point. So that's that's actually pretty close to what we're at these days in a bathroom renovation with our plumbers is $1,500 of fixture installed. Um, production builders get them a little bit lower. Um, but as far as the laundry, this is a whole different type of setup. So you've got to move both your um, electrical or gas and sometimes both. Uh, and then also your plumbing to a whole new location. So this creates challenges when you're trying to vent this work, when you're trying mm-hmm. to hide it in the wall, you know, where right. you're going to put the machines. Um, so typically there's going to be some light, either structural or framing work to do to, you know, cover the space that we're, we're putting this in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you'd be surprised, uh, just moving a laundry could, could result in a 10 to $20,000 bill, you know, by mm-hmm. the end of the day. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't be that surprised. Other people I, might be. Oh, I'm sorry. This is Catherine, the architect, <laughs> oh, yeah, not the homeowner. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should just be consistent with one character, I guess, right? <laughs> yes, you have to change your voice if you go to the homeowner, just so I know. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Um, is there any point in talking about square footage prices? That's a difficult thing to nail down. Um, you know, we talk about square footage pricing in our industry just um, – you know, as, as we talk to other builders, we kind of reference square foot pricing. Oh, you know, I'm at 250 renovating. I'm at 350. They want me at 250. I can't do it. Um, but when we talk to homeowners, we don't like to use that type of language because renovating is such a specialty, you know, adventure, mm. I, I call it. Um, when you're taking something that already exists and you're putting something in it that doesn't, the square footage pricing of your historical projects and the data that you've you know collected isn't going to translate to the same house every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of square footage pricing, you know, conversation is really going to be about new construction and development building. And, you know, those numbers are down under $150 a square right. foot these days uh, for people to make money. Um, so also the motivations behind the square footage pricing 
you know, have to be aligned when you're talking about them in the same conversation where a homeowner putting money into their home as an investment, trying to put in quality materials at a quality price is not going to try to find the same square foot pricing as somebody that's trying to build a house, make money on the margins and sell it for as much that's money as they can. Um, so we have to be careful, you know, when we talk about square footage pricing and I, I, you know, I joke and I say, oh, if you want the square footage pricing, just uh, take whatever the square footage you come up with and divide my number by it. And we'll talk <laughs> about it then because, you know, we can justify it any which way we want. It, it's really about what's in the scope, what's in the plans and what's in our, you know, pre-construction package. What are, what are we planning on doing? That's a really good point about the materials that people want to put into their own houses versus someone building a spec house, let's say, who may not be using who may not be using the same quality tile or any other uh, other finishes. I had a client once who um, hired an interior designer to pick out tile for that bathroom. And it ended up being quite a lot of money for the tile, way more than we budgeted, which they were fine with, but it was uh, about $60,000 worth of tile. That's a lot of money for tile. I know. It was nice mosaic tile, but... That's kind of along the lines of sticking with the budget, you know, but it turns out they, right. could, they could afford it. But um, anyway, I'm sure it's, I'm sure they appreciate their tile. I mean, that's another thing too, uh, building your own bathroom and being happy looking at what you installed is certainly worth it if you have the money to do it. I and mean, that's just personal choices. If someone is interested in the environmental impact of their renovation, is there, should they find a contractor or an architect who is also interested in working with them on that? Or should that be one of the first things that they ask? And that's kind of a leading question. Absolutely. You know, a, a lot of design gets directed from the initial conversations from the homeowner right. and a good architect or designer is going to listen to what they want. And a good salesperson is going to cater their pitch towards meeting those needs. Mm -hmm. um, so it does take an architect or designer or builder that is willing to put up those options and work against what the homeowner might be familiar with um, as, as options. And, and that's going to really drive the sustainability building uh, and using products that are much more energy efficient or methods uh, more so that are energy efficient or uh, material efficient. Uh, and those types of procedures won't be put in place unless the demand comes from the client. So, right. uh, yeah, we really need to plant the seed is, is the short answer. Yeah. Well, do you have any stories that you would like to share in our segment of the show called learning from the mistakes of others? So certainly, uh, learning from mistakes is something that, uh, I'm, I'm familiar with. I, started my business when I was in my early twenties. So, um, I made plenty of mistakes and I still do. Uh, but something that we stress in our business is that mistakes are opportunities to learn how to make our system better. Uh, and I think that the biggest mistake that homeowners and younger contractors, uh, get into is that they rush into projects. They don't plan it. They don't run through it through the scheduling and uh, planning processes that need to happen. Uh, and this gets people into a rushed project where decisions have to be made on the fly. Uh, and then it's, it's the traditional 
bad contractor, didn't plan the job, we're over budget scenario. Mm. Um, so setting expectations and creating processes that, that create success and then repeating those are what I've learned you know, throughout these last five to 10 years as our, our biggest way to grow and learn from our mistakes. So it's kind of like reading, reading through a recipe before you go ahead and start the dish. Absolutely. You know, you can, you can cook it the first time without, you know, reading the recipe and you know, you're certain, you're certain that you're going to make mistakes, but yeah. Um, you get halfway through and you realize you needed, you know, six eggs that you don't have. Exactly. You have to go to the store for exactly. Yeah. It takes all afternoon to make something that should have been easier. (laughs) That's so true. Yeah. I hate that. So it's kind of similar in a much, much bigger way with uh, a construction project. And I love the way that you talk about that, like thinking about it all the way through. Um, What's going to happen at this phase? What's going to happen in that phase? Oh, we're not ready for that yet because we haven't made these decisions. It just does make the whole thing go more smoothly. Oh, absolutely. So we we recently had a project uh, about 12 months ago that should have been about a six to seven month project. It was a an addition off of a cape, two stories, three bathrooms, a basement, a pretty standard job for us. And uh, something that, like I said, should have taken, you know, five to six months ended up taking about 12 to 15 months. Uh, mm-hmm. And this was due to the lack of sufficient plans from the architect before the job. It wasn't and me. Then the, no, this was not you. <laughs> and then, and then having, um, you know, we had to bring in a new architect halfway through to, to make the plans and the expectations of the clients of the plan set all align because mm-hmm. what was on the original plan set wasn't what they envisioned. And, you mm-hmm. know, that misalignment will lead to the whole job going off track. Yeah. Um, so we were able to bring that back on track with a uh, you know, a, a better and more successful architect uh, that knew the process. And, um, you know, that was a, that was a learning curve for us is, you know, we, we won't engage in a project with somebody uh, that we're not comfortable with as an architect. Mm. Well, that's good advice. You know, I think hopefully, I think you've answered the question on how to start. Yeah. Do the work, you know, figure out what you need, and what you want and what you can afford. And then that's when you're ready to start reaching out to some professionals. And, you know, the best way to find a professional is to ask friends, family, they've had successful renovations and, um, you know, that's, that's how you get off on the right foot. True. Thank you so much for being here today, Walter. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'll see you around soon. Sounds good. Thank you very much. And good luck with the podcast. Can't wait to hear it. Thanks. So that's it for the interview for today. And thank you so much for joining me. If you have an idea for a future episode or you have a question you'd like to have answered on a future episode, please write to me at thehousemaven at talkinghomerenovations.com. Also at talkinghomerenovations.com, you can find the show notes and links to social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, some places where you can find me. Also here in his own words, is Walter's information. Uh, My name is Walter Russell. I'm a co-owner of Home Sweet Home Builders. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at at HSHBLLC or online at HSHBuilds.com. So once again, I'm Catherine McPhail, and this has been Talking Home Renovations with the House Maven. 
The show is produced by my architecture firm, Demios Architects. So if you need help with your project or some architectural advice, you could contact me through my website at demiosarchitects.com, and that's D-E-M-I-O-S architects.com. In case you're wondering, and a lot of people have asked me what this wonderful music is on my podcast, it is called Blackberry Festival Foot Race by David Fisher and played by Hanukkah Castle. It's a Scottish jig in D minor, so one of my favorites. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, remember, it's okay to dream.